0: Uh, You can uh, grab your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 1, it's on page 1177. We're going to continue what we began last week in our series, Love is Why. And what we said is that whenever life causes you to wonder why, In Christ, the answer is always love. And it's extraordinarily helpful for us to realize this reality. Just to be able to uh, navigate through a world that so oftentimes doesn't make sense, much less following a God who so oftentimes doesn't make sense. Let's remember that When you read the Bible, one of the things that becomes a a reality in your mind and in your heart very quickly is the, the impractical nature of God. We do not serve a practical God. We serve a supernatural God. And that's why it takes faith to follow Him. So this morning as we continue to look at this Christmas story, we'll see again God showing us through the Christmas story some things about Him and some things about ourselves. So I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. It's just always encouraging just to uh, see and hear and realize the folks around the world. The Adam and Rachel Smith watch us every week. They're deployed to Korea. The Sini family in Japan, they were able to get together uh, over there and celebrate Thanksgiving together, just like a little, you know, family celebration. Grateful for that. Uh, my sister in Knoxville watches us every week. Hey, sis, I love you. Just grateful. It's a blessing. we got people all over the place keeping up with us, and we're thankful for that. All right, uh, just a quick word of uh, information. Um, believe me, I know what a uh, you know. I just assume you're like me, which I understand most of you aren't. But I just assume that you are. So I feel like if something would annoy me, that I would tell you, so you don't get annoyed. Some of you will just go right on by. But uh, f- for a number of years, I've been I've been battling. With, you know, the the other pastors on staff here would say that I'm a little. Uh, Stuck in my ways, maybe they might say um, but it's time to it's time for me to make a shift, and so when i'm when i'm listening to somebody preach so if i'm in here with you and i'm listening to one of the other pastors preach, i don't have my usual Bible I have my e s v Bible because I know they're going to preach out of the e s v and I like to have the same translation of Bible in my hand that the person preaching has and so at the after the first of the year I'm going to shift to the ESV if you want to talk to me about that we can have a conversation about I don't have time to get into it right now but it is it's by far the best translation available I study out of it I just don't preach out of it but I need to do that so here's what I'm saying If you, I know a lot of you already have the ESV and you follow along fine, but if you use the New King James in here and you want to have the same thing that I'm teaching out of, then just go to the bookstore. We have a whole bunch of ESV Bibles in there, super cheap. Get one for Christmas, and after the first of the year, start bringing that Bible, and don't email me or whine at me at how much you... uh, are bummed out about getting a new Bible because you're not nearly as bummed out as I am, okay? So I know you don't have half written in your Bible that I have written in my Bible, so trust me. But I feel like after 25 years, this is something I can't really put off much longer. And the reason that, you know, a part of this whole process is that the Pew Bibles that I reference every week uh, one of the things that we've wanted to do for a long time is I want to be able to just give those to people who are visiting with us. I want to say, hey, listen, open your Bible to this. If you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Well, I can't really do that when they're the only Bibles that we have. And so after the first of the year, the Pew Bibles will be uh, softback Bibles that we'll then give away. And so hopefully, you know, we, every week we have to replenish tons of Bibles. That'll be a blessing. Okay, so get an ESV Bible or don't get an ESV Bible. Whatever you want to do, it's fine with me. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. You've given us this opportunity. You providentially worked in our lives according to your knowledge that we would be here in this moment today. We would hear the things we're about to hear. We would experience the things we're about to experience. Help us to go into this morning realizing under your sovereign hand that you fully understand and comprehend everything about us and our situations. But it doesn't alter your purposes. You are higher and greater and wiser than we are. And we are glad that that is true. So will you meet us here in this time? Will you meet us in this place, in this season of our lives? Wherever that may be, you know. Will you speak through your word? Holy Spirit, come. Give us ears to hear. We desire to be in your presence and changed by you. Thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to look again at actual events, actual people. Let's try to stay connected to the reality that when we look at the Christmas story, um, you know, this is more than just something that we uh, have read a thousand times, that we read every Christmas morning to our families, whatever the case may be. Um, Let's realize that. Sometimes we have a problem. Um, you know, there's, we're all somewhere on this pendulum of, of our, you know, love for Christmas. In other words, we would all say, well, we love Christmas because we're Christians. Okay, but, you know, it's different. You have people that are hysterically in love with Christian Christmas, like, you know, Pastor Matt. I mean... Halloween, he's right after Halloween. He's putting up Christmas decorations, music, the whole thing. I mean, he's just out. I mean, out of control. Then you know, there's healthy Christmas. You know, the people that wait until the day after Thanksgiving. Hello, you know. And then there's there's other people who love Jesus, but Christmas is hard. It's hard. So let's get our listening guides out, and let's remember. Everyone doesn't have the Christmas spirit just because we're in the Christmas season. And that's not necessarily a a spiritual reflection. It could just be a a reality. And it may not be permanent, but it's for a season. You know, there's a lot of people that that, uh, the Christmas season intensifies feelings of loss and loneliness and pain and failure, especially those first couple Christmases that you celebrate without somebody, very significant important in your life. And so it can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. And we we have to remember that. But this is what I want you to realize, that maybe you're here this morning and you, you know, you, you're you willing to be honest with yourself and the fact that, you know, you you have some real family issues going on right now. You've got some questions that you can't find answers to, some things that are not going the way that you planned. Well, that was Mary's first Christmas too. I mean, this isn't, um, this isn't a nursery rhyme. This is a reality. Look in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. So last week the angel visited Zechariah and Elizabeth. Verse 26 of Luke 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So quickly, just a little bit of understanding culturally. Betrothal was far more than engagement. So the betrothal uh, in this culture that would have lasted uh, for about a year and to break a betrothal, it would have taken a divorce. That's how serious it was. A a girl would be betrothed between 13 and 16, typically. We would estimate Mary to be probably 14, 15 years old, something like that. Don't let that wig you out. It's just a completely different culture, okay? All right, verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, Mary's deeply troubled. Why? Now, understand, normally, before there's a response, the angel has to say, Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't be afraid. Mary responds, Why is Mary troubled? Not just because there's an angel, because she asked the question. You know, she's wondering, she's troubled at what kind of a a message is this. Mary's troubled because Mary knows Mary. She's troubled because of what the angel said. Mary is a regular person. And when a regular person hears an angel, call them something like highly favored one. They're like, oh, is somebody else here? Well, what do you mean? Who are you talking to? What is going on here? This can't be for me. Everything about this is confusing to Mary because it doesn't fit into any category or any box that she has. So verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. So now we start to get a little bit of understanding. Found favor. Found favor. Not earned favor. That's important. Found favor. See, a lot of people have the tendency to want to believe that God chose Mary because she was awesome. God did not choose Mary because she is awesome. God chose Mary because He is awesome. Mary's not awesome. Mary's ordinary. Just like me and you. There's nothing... uh, Mary's not sinless. Mary's certainly not deified. And listen, just simply, in a few more verses this morning, we're going to get to the place where Mary refers to Jesus as her Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. So remember that, okay? All right. See that word favor? You found favor, it just means grace. The reason you don't have to be afraid is because of the grace of God. That's what, that's what Gabriel's saying. Gabriel's busy, isn't he? God's got him on. Yeah, I'm thinking, why don't you, you know, why didn't God divide the workload up? Gabriel got all these, you know, said these were these were special messages. Gabriel got them. All right, verse 31. And behold, here we go. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom of his kingdom. There will be no end. This is some big information. That's being received. By, by an ordinary teenage girl. Mary was a poor, powerless, teenage, engaged, pregnant virgin. That's a mouthful, but that's what she was, who is going to be responsible for raising the Savior of the world. Again, if ever there's an impractical statement in the history of the world, it is this. Who would dream up such a plan? Who would choose to do things in this way? So I want us to try to just dial it back a little bit and put ourselves in the position of Mary and try to to just feel a little bit about what she might have been feeling. Verse 34, Mary says to the angel, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. Remember, if you look at what Gabriel said to her, he's very specific. He didn't say you're going to conceive, he said you're going to conceive in your womb. He's very specific about the the biological nature of what's about to happen. You're going to get pregnant, you're going to have a son, okay? So she responds, How can this be since I have not known a man? Now, The first thing that we need to address is the fact that, well, last week when the angel comes to Zach and tells him that his a little bit aged wife is going to have a baby, his response was, how shall I know this, for I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years, and because of that statement, he got nine months of no speaking or hearing Mary asks, how can this be because I'm a virgin? And she gets in no trouble. What is the difference? Well, if you, if you think about the way they answered, here's what I think it is. I think that uh, Zach doubted God. Mary doubts herself. That's what's going on here. See, and last week we talked about how doubt is not a bad thing, how doubt's necessary in order to take a step of faith. And so here we have this scenario whereby a virgin would give birth, which is the fulfillment of the prophecy given hundreds of years earlier that Mary's fully aware of in Isaiah 7 14. Where the Bible says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So hundreds of years earlier, God said exactly what was going to happen. But why is it this way? Why is God making these details uh, the way he's making them? Well, the Son of God is born of a virgin because... Jesus is not a son of Adam. He's a son of Mary, but he's not a son of Joseph. He's a son of Adam. Notice, back in verse 32, he will be great and will be called son of the highest, son of the most high. That's who he's the son of. So the message is being very clear. See, in Romans chapter 5, the Bible talks about Adam, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Talking about how death comes through the line of Adam. Well, Jesus didn't inherit a sin nature because he wasn't the son of Joseph. This is the only way that from birth he could be sinless. This is why in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible calls him the last Adam, because he's the last Adam. He comes to restore that which was broken but th- the reason i say this is because every christmas there's always these liberal documentaries that come on you know the discovery channel and they start talking about how well it really doesn't matter you have you have they they're saying well you know Jesus wasn't born of a virgin you can't be born of a virgin then they interview some liberal theologian who says well what difference does it make if you believe in Jesus who what difference does it make if he was born of a virgin furthermore then they'll go on to say well uh that's really not what the bible says that Really, what Luke is doing when he, when he uses the word virgin, he's borrowing from, from, the, uh, from Isaiah 7, 14, because that word translated from Hebrew, virgin, can also mean young woman. I hear this sometimes. Okay. Look at verse 34 so we can just nail this down once and for all. Mary says to the angel, How can this be? since I am a young woman. That is not what she says. It cannot be that. Because if that's what the word was, it wouldn't make any sense, would it? The only way it could make sense is if she means virgin. So let's just make sure that we all understand that God prophesied that the Messiah would come through a virgin. The Bible is clear that Mary is a virgin. And there's a very perfect and understandable reason why God did the things he did with regards to Jesus not being a son of Adam. So she's saying, well, how is this going to happen? See, now, if you're confused right now, talk to your parents. Because... I'm not explaining the rest of this, okay? All right. And if if you're not here with your parents, talk to your spouse. If you're not here with your parents and you're not married, talk to Pastor Brian. (laughs) Amen. All right, here goes the explanation. Verse 35. So the angel answered. So she's like, well, wait a minute. You know, th- this is, she doesn't have any box to put this impossibility in. So the angel answered her and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Hmm. Hmm. Now, imagine you're Mary, and you're taking this in. You need to understand something. She lives in a culture where if you get pregnant out of wedlock, the greatest likelihood is that you're going to be stoned to death for that. You might, at at best, you're going to be divorced. But probably you're going to be stoned for it. It's not just going to be embarrassing. It is going to be devastating in every way. See, don't forget that she is betrothed to be married to her high school sweetheart. She's in love with Joseph. She wants to spend her life married to Joseph. Joseph. See, in her mind, she understands that the minute he finds out she's pregnant, the relationship is over. If they don't kill her, she's going to be separated from him, lose him, more than likely be abandoned by her family because of this action, which is going to then make her Probably homeless. Now who's going to believe her? Who would believe this story? Imagine the, 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 the tension in her in this moment. She's taking all of this in. She's a young Jewish girl. She understands all the implications of what's being told to her in ways we can't relate to. as a Jewish girl, understanding all the cultural problems this is about to cause. Understanding all the things she's going to lose. She also knows the Bible. Which means that when the angel says you're going to give birth to the Son of God, See, Gabriel said the Son of God. She knows what that means too. See, she knows what Isaiah 53 says. That he was wounded for our transgressions. He'll be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. She knows. She's heard that her whole life. So think about this. As hard as it is for her to get her head around the fact that as a virgin, She's going to have a child. She's also in this moment getting her head around the fact that if this happens, she's going to lose a child. There's a lot bearing down on this teenage girl in this moment. This isn't your happy little everything's going great Christmas See, this is why later on in Luke chapter 2, verse, I think I put it, yeah, I got it for the screen. No, I didn't put it on there. Luke chapter 2, verse 35. uh, The Bible says a sword will pierce through Mary's soul. Jesus is just a little little baby. You know why? Because she's going to watch her son be crucified. She knows what the Bible says. So if ever there was a person who felt like they were in an impossible situation, if ever there was a person who was in a situation where they thought, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? What is God doing? It's Mary. Notice what the angel tells her. See, I think it's building her her anxiety. Like every time the angel speaks, more information comes out, which creates more challenges. Because the more information Mary gets, the more daunting all of this becomes. It just keeps building and building and building and building. And it's almost like Gabriel, sensing the tension in this moment, coming to a, a, a peak... He says in verse 36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. That is what she really needed to hear in this moment. So Mary says, and I don't think this is just boom, 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 boom. I think Mary takes that in. Wait a minute. Aunt Liz? Pregnant? All right, so, you know, at least there's someone else going through something absolutely bizarre and crazy. Remember, for with God... Nothing will be impossible. So Mary's response, Behold, the maidservant of your Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And Gabriel's work was done. Here's a principle for you. You don't have to understand God to trust God. Let me explain something to you. There is so many things that Mary does not understand in this moment. Her head is spinning a hundred miles an hour. But she trusts. She doesn't understand. But she trusts. There's so many things that we go through in life. There's so many things we go through as a faith family that I just don't understand. I find myself in situations in my own life and in your lives, and I don't always understand. But I know that nothing is impossible for God, so I trust Him in the midst of My lack of understanding. I trust that that if if there's a time when I need to understand, God will give me understanding. But that's not guaranteed. Maybe I'll never understand, but I'm going to trust Him. The way you know the weight of what the last thing Gabriel tells her when he says, Aunt Liz is pregnant, nothing's impossible for God is verse 39. Mary Now Mary arose in those days and went out to the hill country with haste, that's important to understand, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. She went straight to Aunt Liz's house. Why? Because when life seems impossible, community becomes indispensable. What you don't want to be in a moment like this is alone. And if there's someone who understands, if there's someone who's been through something similar or the same thing, that's the person you want to get to. That's the person you want to talk to. That's the person you want to be by. See, remember... The angel told her, listen, Aunt Liz is pregnant in her old age. You know the one who's barren. This is why we talk so much about community around here. Listen, when life leaves you bewildered and confused, you got to have somebody to go to. You got to have somewhere to go. You, so you, you need to be able to immediately know, who are the people who pray for me? Who are the people who know me? Who are, who are the people who speak into my life? Who are the people that I'm in community with? And so she goes immediately to Aunt Liz's house. And what do you think Aunt Liz does the minute she sees Mary? Verse 41, it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit which were told her from the Lord. Now, has Mary believed? Did Mary say she believed? Mary hasn't said she believed. Understand something. Elizabeth speaks after one very significant thing happens. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she speaks, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the truth that Mary needs to hear. And so what is the first thing that happens when she gets to her aunt's house is she's encouraged. See, remember, we have a real enemy who wants nothing more than to get us isolated when we're down, when we're weak. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may desire. It's always the one who's alone. It's always the straggler separated from the herd that gets eaten, isn't it? Yes, And notice how vigilant Mary is about what she does. She immediately makes haste and goes to her aunt's house. Why doesn't she go to her parents' house? That's the last place she's gonna go. She's gotta go somewhere where somebody understands what's going on with her. She goes to where she knows. There's going to be some encouragement and some understanding. And listen, she is devoted to this process. This young girl goes on a 90-mile journey. She travels. It probably took her four days to get there. This is a dangerous, hard journey for her to, to accomplish. But it didn't matter because Elizabeth was the only person on earth who would understand what Mary was going through, the only person who could relate The the person, the only person who who could believe this was Elizabeth. See, there's only one person who could verify that you were told by an angel something that you... It's not, Mary's not doubting that God can do this, but Mary has no, see, there's no, she has no context for this. So she's just trying to sort it all out. Anybody ever felt like you were in an impossible situation before? You look around, maybe this Christmas right now, you look around and you feel like your marriage is impossible. Maybe somebody here feels like, you have an impossible addiction you've prayed you've promised you try you fail you try you fail you've committed it just rules you maybe somebody you love with all your heart has an impossible addiction and you feel discouraged and defeated like every time you you try to pray about this or you think about it you think god this is just impossible Maybe you have a root of bitterness in your heart, and it, it seems impossible. You, it's just grown so deep that just the, the thought of trying to forgive just seems impossible. You're just so wounded, so hurt. You just can't see any possible way to get past it or to get behind it. And you say, God, I've tried everything. It just seems impossible. Maybe you're in an impossible financial situation. I mean, you're asking God, how did I even get here? How did we get here? What, what has happened? And you take one step forward and two steps back, and the harder you try, the worse it gets, and it feels impossible. For some of you this Christmas, you have something different making you feel like you're in an impossible situation for you it just seems impossible for you to relinquish control you know you you come to church and you you sing the songs and you you, you do bible studies about Jesus You're always trying to control your family, and it gets to a fever pitch around Christmas. You're, you're trying to control the, the menu. You're trying to control where everybody sits. You even try to control how everybody feels. You have to give everyone a preemptive talk about where they're going to sit and how they're going to feel before they show up so that you can somehow navigate and manage so that everybody's going to be, be peaceful and things are going to go according to your expectation. And here's the thing. It's impossible, and no matter... Here's what you know. You keep getting sucked into the same trap, but every single time, all you ever do is feel frustrated because you can't control it. You can't. It just leaves you frustrated. See... It's ridiculous just to think because it's Christmas time, we're all going to forget about all the real situations in our lives. But here's the the message for us this morning. When life gets hard, we've got to remember it's much easier to magnify our mess than our Messiah. That's the danger that we get into. See, the issue is, what are we magnifying in? In the impossibility. And Mary, the most valuable thing she teaches us is this. She runs in her bewilderment and her confusion to community. And then the result... I don't don't know if you've ever paid attention to this or not, but do you know how long Mary stays at Elizabeth's house? Six months. She doesn't go home for six months. You don't think what... I could preach, I might preach all next week on that six months. Trust me, I got a lot to say about that. But after... Elizabeth speaks life into Mary's heart and encourages her through the Holy Spirit. Then Mary responds in verse 46 with this beautiful song. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded or looked on The lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things in me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So the first thing she does is she doesn't magnify the mess she's in, but she she magnifies her Messiah by looking at she magnifies the God's eyes. The fact that God sees instead of the mess that we're in let's magnify the fact like Mary that God sees us in our brokenness see the bible says that the bible says that in Matthew chapter 5 that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Psalm 34:18 the lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit god sees you in your brokenness so you may be in a mess but don't magnify your mess You need encouragement. You need to to talk to someone who, who knows you and loves you and cares for you and who is spiritual. And get some encouragement to not magnify the mess that you're in. But magnify God's eyes that He sees you in it. Then look at what she does next. She magnifies God's arms. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the poor in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the the rich he has sent away empty. Wow, see, uh, Exodus 66, the Bible says, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. How will I do that? I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. The Bible is always talking about the arms of God and what happens when God reaches out his arms and the power that God has. And Mary, in the midst of her absolute mess, magnifies not only that God sees her in the mess, but that his arms can reach her in the mess. look at verse 54 and 55. She says he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. She magnifies God's memory. The fact that God doesn't forget God remembers what he says. He remembers what he promises. He always fulfills that which he says. He always does the things he says he's going to do. That you can rest assured in the midst of your mess that God remembers. His eyes see you. His arms can reach you. And he remembers everything he said. And he will do exactly what he said when the time is right. And we can find comfort in that. And we need to magnify what we know about God and not... Not the fact that we're in a mess. See, God's eyes look on the lowly. God's arms empower the powerless. And God's memory remembers and keeps His promises. What a Savior. Savior. I think it would be helpful for us this morning to... To just acknowledge the reality that, you know what? Sometimes our lives aren't that different from Mary's. That we all can relate to what she was feeling in some way, shape, or form. And that this Christmas, don't magnify the mess. Magnify the Messiah what you know about Him. If you find yourself in an impossible situation, you're not alone. You feel frustrated because you look around at the things that are going on in your life and you just think, God, why is this happening to me? Understand. All of us in this room who love Jesus, We follow the same God who is so impractical, but remember, He's supernatural. Let's stand and bow our heads.